Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Two towns financially on the decline comprised of blue-collar workers struggling to survive with rock and roll in a music scene of hungry players looking for something to hold on to. Despite being separated by 500 miles, Cleveland, Ohio and Asbury Park, New Jersey were two very similar towns in the 1970s. Whether ripped apart by race riots and social tension, bankruptcy, or a river catching on fire, but the one thing they had was the music. Bruce Springsteen epitomized such a connection, putting Asbury Park on the musical map with a series of now legendary albums in the 1970s, before later making Northeast Ohio his second home with iconic concerts, including the famous 1978 show at the Agora. It wasn't long before another Jersey boy, a Springsteen peer assisted by Miami Steve Van Zant would conquer Cleveland as well, with his own fiery anthems and authentic sound. I'm Troy L. Smith, reporter for Cleveland.com. You're listening to CLE Rocks, the music podcast from the birthplace of rock and roll. This is the story of how Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes became adopted sons of Northeast Ohio. In 1975, Asbury Park, New Jersey found its place on the musical landscape thanks to the success of Bruce Springsteen's now legendary third album, Born to Run. Southside Johnny Lyon, a 26-year-old from the Jersey Shore, was one of many regulars in the scene, hanging out with the likes of Springsteen and E Street Band member Miami Steve Van Zant. Despite hitting the road with Springsteen and the E Street Band in 1975, Van Zant maintained a close relationship with Lyon, whose band Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes served as the house act at the Stone Pony in Asbury. I'm going to Chicago. Van Zant would produce the Jukes four-song demo, which would make its way into the hands of Steve Popovich, a Cleveland transplant living in New York who was the vice president of A&R for Epic Records. The Jukes recorded and released their debut album, I Don't Want to Go Home, produced by Van Zant on Epic in June 1976. The album included The Fever, a cover of a Springsteen tune that had circulated around radio stations in Philadelphia, Boston, and Cleveland in the early 1970s. Now my day no longer, my love stronger, and the fever for 
Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes record deal was built on a friendship and handshake deal with Popovich, a respected figure in the music industry. Remember Southside Johnny Lyon. Popovich is, was such an important part of my life and in everybody's life. Um, he really was a music guy, and we could talk to him, and he understood us. And he loved music. He was constantly, if you rode around the car to do promotion with Steve, you're going to hear 15 different new acts that he really is enthralled by. And they don't have to be on his label or anything like that. It, so he was really one of those people, one of the few people in the music business I could connect with. New Jersey's music scene may have been thriving during the early to mid-1970s, but its notoriety was contained to the Jersey Shore. That is until Springsteen's early albums began to gain traction in key radio markets, which included Cleveland. Top station WMMS had a knack for supporting legendary rock acts early in their careers, from David Bowie to Rush. Kid Leo, the station's top DJ, took to Springsteen, putting the boss's albums in heavy rotation at WMMS, an influential move that gained Springsteen and the E Street Band prominence in the Midwest, says Steve Van Zandt. The, the importance of, of, of DJs in those days and, and, and freeform radio, it was all about that. DJs played whatever they wanted to. And, you know, Kid Leo was only one of uh, half a dozen. I mean, literally, six guys in the country kept Bruce Springsteen's uh, music alive. And Kid Leo was one of them. And not only was he one of them, Kid Leo was number one in the market when even the other big rock stations, you know, would be number two, number three, number four, you know, maybe the sports station or the top 40 station would be, you know, number one. But even the other big rock stations were very rarely number one in their market. And Kid Leo was. He was the king of Cleveland. And, and and he not only played, you know, Bruce every, every I think every Friday to start the weekend at the end of his shift, he played Born to Run, you know, and he did that for, for, for like a year. With Popovich, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes had established their own Cleveland connection. Just like he did with Springsteen, Kid Leo provided early support for both I Don't Want to Go Home and Southside's follow-up, This Time It's For Real. WMMS listeners responded to the Jukes the same way they did to Springsteen, relating to Southside's New Jersey sound, a mix of heartland rock, blues, and soul focused on blue-collar life, girls, and working on a dream. Popovich's son, Steve Popovich Jr., says the connection between the Jukes and Cleveland was built on authenticity. I think you've got to look at, I mean, Cleveland being, you know, at that time, a breakout market for a lot of these national acts. And, you know, uh, there's, there's obviously very deep roots as to why Cleveland is the rock capital of the world. You know, it was you know, a melting pot. You look at back then, I mean, now you probably couldn't get 50 people to come out to a Monday night show. You know, the fans of, of Cleveland, the, the people of Cleveland were a, a big part of, you know, helping develop and harness a lot of these artists' early careers. You know, I mean, they're, the enthusiasm and the passion 
of Cleveland and its people. I mean, it's it just, you know, that blue-collar mentality, you know. I mean, they get off work and, uh, you know, they go, go out to a Monday night concert and it's packed to the gills. Pretty unbelievable. And at that time, I don't think there were really any other markets, maybe a couple, that had that magic. You know, and, and if Cleveland and the people, if they embraced you, you were they, they were fans for life. In 1976, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes embarked on a rigorous tour schedule that would take the band from New Jersey and New York all the way to Europe. It was a seemingly never-ending run that Southside Johnny recalls wasn't for the weak of heart. We played five nights a week back then. I mean, we were playing all the time. We, we, once we got on the road in 76 and 77, we just stayed on the road for years and cost me my first marriage and a lot of health. <laughs> but it was, it was fun. I mean, we're, we were out to prove ourselves. It was my one opportunity to go out on the road and prove that, you know, we belonged in these places. And so we tried to kill every night. We tried to kick ass. When they returned to the United States in 1977, the Jukes' first stop was Cleveland's Agora that May. The venue had become a hotbed of music in the Midwest, hosting future Rock and Roll Hall of Famers like Elvis Costello, ACDC, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Tom Waits, Blondie, and Cheap Trick all early in their careers, but supported heavily by WMMS. The Jukes' May 2nd sold-out concert was set to air live on the station's airwaves. And will you please welcome Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes! That performance has recently been immortalized on Live in Cleveland 77, released by Cleveland International Records, the label founded by Steve Popovich and now run by his son. In a live setting, the Juke songs turn the venue into a party club, steamrolling out of the gate with the sounds of This Time It's For Real. Thanks to WMMS, several of the songs were already familiar to fans, including The Fever. Jukes would work their way through 13 songs that night, including fan favorites I Don't Want to Come Home, Without Love, and a stirring cover of Sam and Dave's You Don't Know Like I Do. Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes had already played Cleveland multiple times in 1976 but the 1977 show was unique. The Jukes were joined on the road by Ronnie Spector, lead singer of the Ronettes, and the woman referred to as the original bad girl of rock and roll. It's a name Spector earned and relished, remembers Southside Johnny. Her 
command on stage. I think uh, a lot of the women who came later would watch her and see her as kids, you know, and think she's really... It's not like Diana Ross and the Supremes where they're all cutesy. Ronnie was uh, a tough chick. You could tell she was, you know, more street than most. And she just paraded that around. She was very sure of herself, loved to sing, and, and she just had that attitude that people love. Maybe when we break up from a quarter Almost punk. When we played in uh, England for the first time in 77, I think it was, at the Hammersmith Odeon Theater, the Sex Pistols came to see. And they didn't come to see us. They came to see Ronnie Spexis. That's the kind of residence that she had, that kind of attitude that was very self-confident and very in-your-face of, I'm going to sing and you're going to listen. Spectre and Southside Johnny first collaborated on the Springsteen penned You Mean So Much To Me, which served as the closing track on the Jukes' debut album. A year later, Spectre would team with the E Street Band for a cover of Billy Joel's Say Goodbye to Hollywood. The Joel cover would become the first single released by Cleveland International Records, which Popovich founded upon moving back to Cleveland. The recording earned the E Street Band members a crucial paycheck at a time when a lawsuit kept Springsteen and the band out of the recording studio, recalls Popovich Jr. Right around the time my father left you know, CBS Records back in 1976, in, in which he was responsible for signing Southside Johnny to Epic Records. And then when he left, he started Cleveland International Records. With the first signing was Ronnie Spector, and he had... Uh, an idea, you know, it was right around the time Bruce and East Street Band were going through some hard times. You know, Stephen reached out to my father and told him what was going on. And my dad said, hey, look, I got an idea. You know, I've, I've, I've got this song here uh, written by Billy Joel called Say Goodbye to Hollywood. And uh, why don't you guys go in and back up Ronnie Spector on the track? And uh, I'll pay you double, triple scale, whatever it was at that time, which was probably a month's salary, you know, which probably saved the East Street Band at that time. Spectre would take the stage with the Jukes, which included Steve Van Zandt on guitar, that night at the Agora, to perform Say Goodbye to Hollywood. Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes Live in Cleveland 77 is the second in a series of live releases from Cleveland International Records. The series captures the legendary concerts of various artists that took place in Cleveland. The album has taken on even more profound meaning following Spectre's death in January 2022. For Southside Johnny, Live in Cleveland 77 serves as a reminder of his band's relationship with Cleveland a city that has played an important part in his career for more than four decades. Cleveland's a very much a blue-collar city in New Jersey, pretty much, except for certain areas, a blue-collar state. And both of us, New Jersey and Cleveland, got made fun of a lot. They were, they were kind of the joke 
the punchline to a lot of jokes. You know, Johnny Carson would say, blah, 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 blah. And then he moved to New Jersey. Ah, ha, ha, ha. We kind of resented that. I did anyway. I know Cleveland used to be a joke too. So I think there was a real affinity between the audience and the band because we just really took that stuff seriously and we wanted to prove our worth. And I think Cleveland wanted to do that too, prove that they're a rock and roll town, which they are and were. Thank you for listening to CLE Rocks. For more, visit our pages on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and other platforms. A special thank you to Southside Johnny, as well as Steve Popovich Jr. Live in Cleveland, 77 is available on CD through Cleveland International Records. A vinyl release is planned for later this year. For Cleveland.com, I'm Troy L. Smith. Until next time.